I want us today to read, to begin, the scripture that's going to be the guiding scripture in our service. It's Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to begin with the first part now because it's a long chapter, but uh, it lays the foundation. It's all about the grace and the mercy of God, his love. And so let us stand together as we worship the Lord. This is the word of the Lord from the letter of Ephesians by the Apostle Paul. And it says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let us pray. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, we have come to worship you, for you are rich in mercy. Our hearts are filled with thanksgiving, love, adoration, as we think of the mercy that you poured out upon us when we were dead in our transgressions, giving us eternal life, life of the age to come, and making us your children, your family. So today we praise and glorify you, our merciful, loving Father, amen. So let us continue to read the book of Ephesians. Today we are entering our first week for the Bible studies in our fall spiritual emphasis. The Bible studies are race and the gospel. I hope that you're in one of the small groups that are studying this together and watching the videos. If it's impossible for you to be in one of the groups, then I encourage you to go to Right Now Media. There is a link on the church website. Go to Right Now Media, enter into the search, <clears throat> Grace and the Gospel, 
and each week, sometime during the week, you can watch the video for that week. <coughs> Excuse me. So we're talking about reconciliation, and each week we will be reading additional scripture from the New Testament that tells us what reconciliation means and the role that it plays in the life of a person who is a part of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to begin reading once again. This is the word of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 2. We'll pick up where we left off, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose, now, Anytime it starts to tell you what Jesus' purpose is, you need to say, oh, I better pay attention to this. This is important. So he says, his purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So he talks about walls and divisions, but he also talks about reconciliation and becoming one in this passage that we have read. So have you run into any walls lately? Walls in your life that have prevented your progress in the direction that you wanted to go? Have you built any walls lately? 
any fences to separate you from anyone or anything that you did not want to be close to or for them to have access to you. Walls are not always something that can be seen, though sometimes they are. Sometimes the barriers that we create are invisible barriers. But there's some very famous physical, visible barriers that have been built by human beings throughout history. One of them goes across the north of England, Hadrian's Wall. It was built by the Romans when England was part of the Roman Empire. All of it is not still there, but there are places where you can still see Hadrian's Wall. Many of us remember the Berlin Wall very well. It's been torn down now, and I remember how we all rejoiced when that occurred. It was not a wall to keep people out. It was a wall to keep people in. Some of you have been to Israel and have seen Israel's exclusion wall. We human beings have a tendency to divide people into categories. Friend, enemy, colleague, competitor, Democrats, Republicans, independents, upper class, middle class, lower class, citizens, foreigners, and lots of other kinds of ways. We divide one another up. And in Paul's day, people did the very same thing. In his day, in his culture, there was a very important dividing wall. It had great significance for the Jewish people. It was the wall around the inner courts of the temple. So, of course, I can't show you a picture of that because the Romans destroyed the temple and the wall in 70 AD. But this is a model of what it may have appeared as. Now, you see, there is a great plaza all around the temple, and there is a wall all the way around it, and what remains of that is the western wall that you have heard of or seen pictures of before. But you see, right there around the temple itself, there was a, a wall that, uh, that was the dividing wall. Now, it looks like it enclosed a small area. No, everything there is very, very large, extremely large. So even those small courtyards inside that dividing wall were large, large spaces. There were gates that allowed the people who came to worship to pass in from those large outer courts into the inner courts. Now, the Gentiles, or the nations, had to stay on the outside of that dividing wall, and only the Jewish people were allowed on the inside. And at each gate, there was a stone in the wall that was engraved, giving the nations the warning, you are not allowed to come through here. There have only been two of those stones found, but our archaeologists found one complete stone and have found a partial stone. The complete stone is in Istanbul, Turkey. 
in the archaeological museum there. So Istanbul used to be the capital city of a great empire that included the Holy Land. And the rulers in Istanbul would have treasures that were found brought to the great museum in the capital, very similar to the Smithsonian Institute in the United States. So one day I went looking for the stone. It's called the Soreg. Nobody cares about the, the Soreg much. Uh, everybody wants to see all the really fancy stuff and the, the very monumental things. But the Soreg is, is not a very large stone. It's just sitting on the floor over at the side of a room. You could walk through the room and never pay attention to it at all. But this stone that you see was one of the stones of the dividing wall that Paul was talking about. And this is what it says. No stranger is to enter within the wall around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. That's a pretty forceful stop sign, don't you think? It was a very real division. It wasn't a, well, I'll think about it. It was the kind of thing that got one's attention. And Paul mentions this wall in verse 14, calling it the dividing wall of hostility. And he says, that is not God's plan. God is not a divider. Here's the plan. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the, wall, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. That is the good news of the Lord for us. Reconciliation, removing the dividing wall. Reconciliation is what God is doing. Did you get that from that scripture that we read? He's not a part of division. He is a part of healing and restoring what we human beings in our self-centeredness and in our anger have divided. So God is reconciling, that's his plan for us, not divisions. That's what Jesus was doing in his time that was here, creating in himself, Paul says, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So, have you created any walls or accepted any walls visible or invisible, that 
that divide you from others? Are you willing to accept dividing walls as a fixture in your life? That's not God's plan and purpose for you or for me. The place to begin reconciliation is to make a decision, to decide to join Jesus in his mission, in his purpose of making one new humanity out of the two, to decide that division will not be acceptable to you because it's not acceptable to God. So is that where you are? Is there any place you do not want reconciliation, unity? So if we consider the teachings of Jesus, if we learn from him, we see that reconciliation in this world begins in our hearts. Therefore, statements that I want us to consider that come from the scriptures. Lovers of reconciliation love the opponent. Love the op opponent. Don't tolerate them. Don't decide, well, I'll be nice to them. But love them, value them, cherish them, love them. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In addition, lovers of reconciliation do not wait for someone from the other side to reach out to them. Lovers of reconciliation always do the reaching. So here's the second statement. Lovers of reconciliation are initiators of peace talks. Now, I'm very well aware that's difficult a lot of the time. This is a principle I've tried to follow, and it's, it's just not a comfortable principle. But if divisions are not acceptable, somebody's got to initiate the peace process. So followers of Jesus, lovers of reconciliation, initiate the peace talks. A third statement. Lovers of reconciliation are willing to be listeners at the peace talks. Doesn't mean we never talk. It means that we're at least willing to listen as much as we are going to speak. Most of the time, everyone wants to be heard, and there aren't too many participants who are focusing upon doing the hearing. But how can there be peace if we don't know each other and understand each other? And how can we understand if we don't hear what the other person is thinking? This week, this week, I found it was just shocking to me. 
This week, I, I found one of Karen's journals. It was, uh, I thought I had found them all. It was one that she had written the year we began to date. It was really enlightening. <laughs> oh, that's what she was thinking. I would ask her what she was thinking about things, and she always found it difficult to put that, to, to tell me anyway, but she had no trouble putting it down in that book. And I was astonished at what I saw there. And one of the things she put there is he likes to talk a lot more than he likes to listen. Maybe she would have found it easier to tell me what she was thinking and feeling if I had done a better job of closing my mouth and listening to her. The fourth statement is this. Lovers of reconciliation are willing to be changed by the peace talks. We have to ask ourselves, what has to happen in me for reconciliation to occur? What can be changed in my life to facilitate reconciliation? The changes that are required are not always changes of what is right and what is wrong, what is moral, what is immoral, what is Christian, what is, is not. There are decisions that have to be made sometimes in, along those sorts of lines. But a lot of times, the changes that need to be made are changes that because I have chosen to let the love of Jesus control my life, I change things, even preferences, so that I might love somebody else. Some changes are made because we value reconciling so very, very highly. Look at what Jesus did to reconcile us to himself. The extent that he went to to reconcile us. Here's how Paul described it in the words we read. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ the blood of Christ. He let a lot be changed because he valued you. For he himself is our peace. Four statements. Do you remember them? I hope you do. Lovers of reconciliation love the opponent. Lovers of reconciliation are initiators of peace talks. 
Lovers of reconciliation are willing to be listeners at the peace talks. Lovers of reconciliation are willing to be changed at the peace talks. Are you willing to be reconciled? When I was a kid, one of the preachers that we had always multiple times through his sermon said, aren't you glad? And he said it so often that we thought it was funny, at least us kids did. But after that song, I think the best thing to say is, aren't you glad? Yes. His reconciling, life-giving power. And he calls us to participate in that. You can instigate peace talks and people may not respond in peaceful ways. It's quite evident. You've seen that in our world. But if there's a division, Paul said in the book of Romans, live at peace with all people as far as it depends upon you. You don't be the wall builder, the wall maintainer. There may be a wall there, but make sure it's because they put it up and not because you want it there. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, you're gracious and merciful to us, far more gracious than what we deserve. And so we rejoice and we thank you. So as we go from this place, we pray that you would make us to be reconcilers in the broken places in this world, and there are many of them. May we indeed be messengers of the kingdom of God. And we pray that you would heal us people all around this planet. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. There's some things that I want to share with you, and here is the first. My dear brothers and sisters, the Lord has blessed me with an amazing church family here at Calvary Community. I want you to know that I will be retiring soon. This is a decision that has been made over a number of months with much prayer seeking direction from God. My request to the board was that January the 1st, 2021, be my last day of employment at Calvary Community. Because COVID has prevented me from using my vacation days this year, I would like to use my vacation days in December. So that would mean that December the 1st would be the last day for me to work at the office. I intend to move to Oklahoma City to be near family members who will benefit from my proximity to them. 
having grown up in a pastor's home, all the members of my family, my siblings, my mother, all of us have experienced the church being prioritized over family many times. I have done that in my home too many times as well. It is time for me to prioritize my family and its needs. I believe the church is going to be different as we go forward. The long separation from church during the pandemic is affecting the attitudes of people con con concerning their participation in church. I believe that new leadership with fresh perspectives will benefit Calvary community in the long run as adjustments to the new reality are made. Calvary is a strong church. You have an excellent pastoral staff. While this action of mine increases uncertainty for the church in an already confusing time, I am certain that God has prepared for this moment and has a wonderful pastor prepared to lead this church family. I am praying for his clear direction for all of you. Through our years here, you have generously, generously poured out love on me and my family again and again. And I am very, very grateful. You are my dear friends. I love you. You will always be cherished in my heart. The Lord is good. His love endures forever. So, be strong in your faith. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Thank you for allowing me to serve you through these years. I do love you. So what's going to happen next? Well, we are a part of a larger church family. And we have a district superintendent. He will be contacting Glenn Guarino, a member of our church board, the secretary of the church board, and he will be setting up a meeting very, very soon uh, where he will meet with the board and they will begin the process of finding out who it is that God has prepared to continue here as the pastor here of Calvary Community Church. Um, I don't think for a minute you need to be anxious about what's going to happen. Now you probably will be impatient about what is going to happen because it does, it takes some time 
it takes some time, and you want the church board and the district superintendent to do a good job and to do their work thoroughly, you want them to do a good job at the process that they will be going through in the coming months. Uh, so be patient. They will keep you informed of what is occurring as it is appropriate because this does involve some other people and their employment. Um, some things they have to keep very confidential and can't just tell you everything, but they will keep you informed as things are developing. And, um, and eventually, I imagine, they will invite someone to come here and to interview and generally, uh, this is COVID time, so nobody knows for sure how this will work, but most of the time, the congregation, at least the part of the congregation that wishes to meet the person, will meet the person during the interview time. And then the board will have a closed interview uh, session with the candidate and will decide whether they believe this is the person that God has indeed uh, prepared to pastor this congregation. If they decide that it is, they will let you know. And then all, you, the members of the congregation, will be able to vote based on what you know about the person. Yes, I believe this is the person, or no, I don't think this is the right person to come and be our pastor. So, so. I know that you didn't come, most of you did not come hearing, expecting to hear this today. I hope you'll still remember the word of God and that you won't let the, the surprise of this cause the word of God we have read, which was all about the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the power of God at work in our lives, I hope you won't forget all of that. That is, that is very much the way we live. So, I know that this brings sadness to many. It brings sadness to me. It does, because I do love you, and you are my friends. But I am, I am convinced that this is the direction of the Lord for me and for my family at this time. And so we will, we will be moving toward that transition in, uh, in a few weeks. But in the meantime, we're going to work together and we're going to celebrate what God is doing among us. Now, it sounds like I am leaving, but I asked the, the, the district superintendent, anything that happens after Jew, January the 1st, I'm not supposed to touch. If I want to touch it, I shouldn't retire. Uh, so I can't touch anything after January the 1st without permission. So the district superintendent has given me permission to continue my membership as a part of this church family, which I intend to do uh, for the time being and uh, for, for a while until I get direction that I should do something different. Um, I have a Wednesday night Bible study that meets by Zoom. In that Bible study, we have former members of Calvary who live in Florida and uh, who live in Wisconsin who, uh, 
who participate, and since it's all on Zoom, I ask the district superintendent, may I be allowed if the people in the Bible study want to me too to continue the Bible study? And he said yes, yes for the time being, but you will have to ask for permission again as things continue to change and see whether that is, is permitted at that point. So I want you to know, uh, I'm saying all that to say, I'm not trying to cut you out of my life at all. You will always be a part of my life, a part of my heart, and, uh, and I know that though, though things um, require this step on my part at this point, I know that God has a good plan for all of us because that's what God does. That's what God does. So. We need to pray together for God's direction, especially for the church board, as they go through this process for us all, finding our new lead pastor. So let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are good and gracious to us. You lead us all. You led my family here. We had no expectation that we would live here more than 23 years. But you had a wonderful plan and brought us to a wonderful place where there is healing and the Spirit of God and the love of Jesus. And so we thank you. And we thank you that all of us together are part of a church where there is love and wholeness and your presence, where we really do try to love each other the way that Jesus loves us. And so we ask in these days, which are going to be, be rather significant changes for us all, we pray that you would guide us all and you would help us as we work together to be reconcilers in this broken world. And we pray especially for the ones that have been chosen to be the church board for this year, who have this very important task. We pray that you would give them wisdom and direction. And we pray that you would be even now preparing the heart of the person that you have chosen to lead this church in the future. Help us all to always be perfectly aware of your love and your favor for us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.